If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to the book of Luke, third book in the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Let me just start with a question. Um, what causes you to rejoice? What causes you to be filled with, with joy? It's kind of a very personal thing. There's things that maybe we all might rejoice in, but there's also things that um, only some people would rejoice in. I think some people rejoice in, in sports teams, right? So around this city, a lot of people rejoice in UofL and what UofL does. Now, I rejoice in, like, the Cleveland Indians. But no one else really cares about the Cleveland Indians. Actually, a large chunk of the world doesn't care about the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> Maybe just people from Cleveland. That says something personal about, about me. There's something about me that rejoices in that. Um, in the same way, I rejoice, uh, I rejoice at the, the birth of my children. Now... I will rejoice when Abby finally has her baby, but I will not rejoice as much as Abby will rejoice when she has her baby. Or James, that, that I will be excited and filled with joy, but that's, that's more for them. And there's, there's a, a personal aspect to it. And, and Jesus is talking here about, about rejoicing, and it's a, very, it's a very personal thing. And yet there's also something here that for all of those of us who are believers in Jesus, we can all rejoice together in the same way at this. So I just want to read the passage right off the bat. We're going to look at um, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. I had planned to go through all of it, but we're probably just going to get through verse 20, and that's okay. Um, So Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. I think there's a lot in verses uh, 21 through 22, um, especially, and that's why we're going to take a break. Uh, we're not going to get into those this morning, but look at them next week. But you see this theme of rejoicing? Verse 17, the, seven, the 72 returned with joy. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice, but rejoice at this. Um, then in verse 21, something that we, that we see only a couple times in the New Testament is Jesus rejoicing. Um, so we'll talk next week, what makes Jesus be filled with joy? Um, and then he says to the disciples in verse 23, you are blessed. There's something that you should be excited and filled with joy about. Um, and so this theme of joy and what, what should we truly rejoice in is, is kind of what um, this whole section is about, even though we're going to break it up a little bit. Uh, there's a gap. A time gap between verses 16 and 17, obviously. We were talking in verses 1 through 16 where Jesus sends out the 72. These 72 followers and he sends them out to do ministry to proclaim the peace and the nearness of the kingdom. Um, And so they go out 
with Jesus' instructions, and we, he sends them out, his instructions end in verse 16, and then already in verse 17, the 72 are returning. Um, so there's some sort of gap there. I don't know how long that was, um, what all transpired, but it seems like the, the whole experience was, was fairly positive, that, that things seemed to go pretty well. It says that they, um, 72 returned with joy. So they came back and they're, they're excited. Um, they may have left with fear or anxiety, but they return after this time of ministry with joy. I think it's a good reminder for us. I think sometimes when we step out of our comfort zones and we get involved in ministry and telling other people about who Jesus is and proclaiming the truth of the gospel, and um, that it's difficult, something that maybe we dread, maybe you don't really want to do. But the disciples come back and they are filled with what? Joy. They, they are happy. When we are faithful ministers of the gospel in the places that God has placed us, then we will know the joy of the Lord. When we are doing what He has called us to do, we will be filled with joy. And so as we as a church call you um, to be involved in ministry within our church and within our neighborhood and even within our, our world, we're doing it for your joy. I'm not doing that to make you miserable. I'm doing it for your joy. There is joy in showing forth the gospel in deeds of love, and there is joy in proclaiming the truth of God in word. And so we should not look at the opportunity to tell people about Jesus as, oh no, this is going to be miserable but rather that this is what will fill us with joy. What specifically do the disciples rejoice in? It says, Lord, they, they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I don't think this is the only thing that they were rejoicing in, but it's, it's at least something. And I think maybe it's the, the most amazing. They, they tell everything else and they said, Jesus, it was so amazing that even the demons listened to us. That's a pretty amazing thing to think about, isn't it? Jesus had empowered them with his authority and his power, and they were seeing it borne out in their daily lives, all the way to the point of the demons being subject to them. This is a big deal. Remember the twelve earlier had encountered a young boy that was possessed with an evil spirit, and they couldn't deal with it. But these 72 are sent out, and in the power of Jesus, they're able to handle these different situations. What an amazing thing to see Jesus' power at work in them. And Jesus himself, I think, acknowledges that something amazing is going on. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Something spectacular is, is going on here. Now, this kind of sounds like a reference maybe to Isaiah 14.12 and this idea of the fall of Satan. Scripture teaches us that Satan was this angelic being but rebelled against God in pride and was cast out of heaven and took angels with him who have become the, the demons that um, are a part of who he is. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I don't think he's referring specifically to that. Because that would be kind of like the disciples come back and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus sort of one-ups them and says, oh yeah? I saw Satan fall from heaven. You know, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I think that would be kind of um, strange for him to, to speak that way. But I think maybe what he's saying is that... Um, so, so heaven here isn't necessarily the, the dwelling place of God in the sense that Satan was cast out of heaven, but heaven more referring to, to the heights, to, to this high place of, of power. And Jesus is saying, I saw Satan falling from his place of power. And it happened fast. That, that's that reference to lightning. Think about how fast lightning comes down. I mean, it's, it's quick. And so Satan falls from power, and it's, and it's full, and it's complete, and it's quick. 
I, I think that's that's what he's referring to here. So, the, the, so heaven is the heights, and Satan is being thrown down from this place of of power. He continues to use this this unique imagery. He says, "Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents." and scorpions, and over all um, the power of the enemy. He gives them this uh, authority that, that over demonic forces, and it's, it's mediated by, by Jesus, and it, it comes in both positive and negative terms. So in one part, he, he gives them the power to tread over these things, but he also protects them from these things. That's that, that second part. So you can tread over them, but then um, he also says, and nothing shall hurt you. So, so you're going to walk over them, and also they won't harm you. So it's, it's kind of this, this both and. Think about that image of treading over snakes and, and scorpions. It reminds me of um, Indiana Jones. You know, he's always encountering these kind of things where he's crawling through these narrow passages with the biggest bugs you have ever seen in your life, you know. Uh, and he falls in a pit of cobras. And you know that, that famous line, right? Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? And he's got this fear of, of snakes. And even Indiana Jones, who's this hero, is scared of snakes. Um, I had a friend who was scared of snakes. He said, God cursed them. That's enough for me. Um, I think he shot one with a 12-gauge one time. Uh, he was a unique character. Anyways, that just popped into my head. Um, <laughs> but Jesus says that, that they're, giving, they're given this power to, to walk over serpents and scorpions in this world. I'm even reminded of St. Patrick's Day. You know the legend about St. Patrick, that, that he drove all the snakes out of, out of Ireland? That supposedly they were bothering him while he was on a 40-day fast, and so he got rid of all the, the snakes in Ireland. Um, of course, that's, that's legend. There were never any snakes on Ireland, is what people say. Um, but we might, we might wonder, is Jesus talking about real snakes and scorpions? Is that, is that what he's referring to? Um, there are some who, who connect this to the ending of Mark, where Jesus says you'll take up venomous snakes and they won't hurt you. And there's this idea of, I mean, maybe you've heard about folks who do snake handling and, you know, they are involved in this whole practice. Is that what Jesus is talking about, that we should just kind of walk around in, in pits of scorpions and, and sh- prove that Jesus is powerful? No, that's not what it means. I don't think that's what it means at all. Um, so what is Jesus talking about here? From the very beginning, aren't, isn't the snake a representative of, of evil and, and of Satan himself? I mean, and that's the context here, right? The demons are subject to you. He's talking about power of the enemy. So the snakes and the scorpions are this, this repre- these representatives of, of all the, the evil that's sort of lying in the grass or, you know, we, scorpions hiding people's shoes. It's just the evil that's in this world that's, that's seeking to harm us. And Jesus says, you, you tread right over that stuff. It, it won't bother you. Uh, Psalm 91, uh, 11 through 12. I just thought it was amazing. That's one of Nanai's favorite uh, psalms. And um, he says, it says there, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. Adder being a type of snake. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. I, think, I don't think that's an accident in Psalm 91. What are the two animal imageries used for Satan? It's the snake and the lion. And, and the, the psalm promises you will tread, you will walk on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. They, they cannot harm you. The, the, the forces of evil can do nothing against us. We have power over the powers of the enemy. All of it. It says, tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. 
Listen to this promise from Romans 16.20. The God of peace, think about that tie back to peace, this message of peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that a great promise? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Who's going to do the crushing? The God of peace. God will crush Satan. How's he going to do it? With our feet. Isn't that amazing? That, that the power is from God. It's a mediated power. It's a given power. The, the disciple, the 72, they say, the demons are subject to us. How? In your name. Jesus says, I have given you power to tread. God is the one who's doing it. But he's given us the power to tread over snakes and scorpions and all the enemies of this world. He is the source of the power, but he uses our feet. <laughs> So, but, but not only are we able to crush the powers of Satan, but as evil comes against us, nothing will harm us. I mean, nothing. It says, nothing shall hurt you. We are invincible. It's like in a video game. You've got the cheat code, right? You put it in and nothing can harm you. You will survive. It's a lot like that, and it's absolutely nothing like that. <laughs> in the same way, because aren't we harmed? I mean, don't difficult things come into our lives? Is that what Jesus is saying? Nothing will harm you? We might say it this way. Nothing will ultimately harm you. Because we do face difficulty. I think about extreme difficulty. Brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world right now are being persecuted for their faith. That doesn't feel like victory to them. There's brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing persecution and even martyrdom and even death. It doesn't feel like victory. But they are victorious. Because nothing can truly harm us, even death. Because Jesus has ultimately defeated Satan. The the authority of the 72 in some way is based on the coming of Jesus. And and even, I think, on um, Jesus' triumph over Satan and the temptation. That that there's, there's there's a mark right there where Jesus says, I will not submit to your power. And the authority we have over Satan and over the snakes of the, and the scorpions of this world is ultimately rooted in the defeat of Satan. That's not, not just seen in Jesus' coming and, and his, his victory over the temptation, but, but in the cross. That, that Jesus' death and resurrection, Colossians 2.15 tells us, in that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame. The cross, in this sense, is what has removed the fangs from the serpent. It has sucked all the poison out of the scorpion, and they cannot harm us. Even even if Satan would kill us, it doesn't ultimately defeat us. So often, I think we, we step into life, into circumstances, feeling defeated. We're defeated by temptation before it even comes. We're defeated by the enemies that come against us throughout life. We, we as Christians in a culture, can often say, woe is us, everything's stacked against us, you know, the forces of culture and of government and whatever else. And we enter into this battlefield defeated. We step out into ministry, but we, we think that sin and Satan have too firm a hold on the hearts of our friends and our, and our family. But in Jesus, we have power. We, we are protected from the forces of evil, and we have power over them. And so we shouldn't walk into situations feeling defeated, but rather saying, we are victorious. Jesus has given us victory. 
So this victory that, that, the, 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 that the 72 come back with in their ministry, this is what they, they return and they rejoice over the, the breathtaking reality that, that they have been given the authority of Jesus. And, and so too for us, we can rejoice that, that we have authority over and are protected from the forces of evil. We rejoice that we have authority over and we are protected from all the forces of evil. That that is true. That's a reality for us. And I think Jesus says, that's good. But, <laughs> in the midst of, his, uh, of their joy, and in the midst even of his uh, affirmation of, of what they're saying, Jesus says, don't find your deepest joy in this. Don't find your deepest joy in the defeat of evil spirits. It's good, but it's not the best. Imagine if I give one of my children a, a, a new bike. I box it up, you know, and they they open this bike. Elaine's smiling already. She's excited. I, I don't have a new bike, <laughs> but just imagine. So so she she has this uh, this box and it's wrapped up and and pull the wrapping paper off and and we pull the bike out and it's and it's ready to go. Um, and we look at the bike and she turns and plays with the box. Now, boxes are great, aren't they? I mean, I love boxes. I love playing with boxes. I can get. I think I have as much fun with the kids when, as the kids do when we have a big box. But but that's not the real gift, is it? I mean, the bike is, is the gift. The, the box is okay. The bike is great. I think sometimes we get distracted. We rejoice in the in the wrong things. And in the same way, these disciples are are distracted. They're distracted actually by the thrill of Jesus' empowered ministry. And they miss the place of true joy. We can become so enamored with the work that God maybe is doing through us that we forget the work that God has done in us. We can delight in outward shows of power, but we just are sort of nonchalant about the inward power that has changed us. Jesus says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. I don't think he means don't rejoice in that at all. He's saying, in contrast, don't even worry about that. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice. Find your true, deepest joy in this, that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that God has written. This is what we should rejoice in. Rejoice that our names are written in heaven. There's an old song that talks about the last days. It says, when the, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, you know this one, and time will be no more, and the, the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the saints of old, is that how, saints of old are gathered over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. The roll, what, what's that? Well, the roll is, you know, if you're a teacher, and you, you have your, your roll, it's got... Everyone listed, and the teacher says, when I announce your name, please say, here, or present. Yeah, and so they say, you know, um, Demery, Ken. Here. Here, all right, so Ken's here. Um, and so we'd say, Daniel, CJ, here. Okay, I didn't hear you. <laughs> so, so imagine, you know, you remember that, that experience, right, of, of having people, having the roll called? Do you ever have the roll called and your name wasn't on there? And you're like, wait a minute, I, I signed up for this class. I'm, I'm supposed to be, it's got to be on there somewhere. Very often the, the teacher will 
write it in there. But there's this role. There's, there's actually, it's, it's, not a, it's not just a piece of paper. It's, scripture talks about a book. That, that there's this book called the, the Book of Life. Um, it's referred to, um, let me just give you a couple of scriptures. You don't have to look at them with me, but I'll just tell you. Um, Philippians chapter 4. Paul talks about um, help. He's calling for the, the church to help. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Help them. Their names are in the book of life. What's, what's that mean? It means that, that Jesus knows them. That they're followers of Christ. They're, they're part of the kingdom of God. It, it shows up a lot. It's actually referenced in some ways in Daniel, but it shows up in, in Revelation as well, near the end. Of Revelation. Listen to this scene, which is both glorious and chilling at the same time. Revelation 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and, and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It shows up again um, later in, in chapter um, 21 he says I, John writes and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God the mighty, almighty and the lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written where in the lamb's book of life so if you're not in the lamb's book of life he says that the end is the lake of fire. But if you are, then we are invited to that kingdom that, that he describes there. It's an important book, isn't it? I want to be in that book. I want to be on that, that roll when, when, when Jesus calls roll because that's, that seems to be the, the place. If you're not there, then it's a bigger problem than not being on the roll for a class that you signed up for. People want to get their names on different places, right? And get their name etched on this wall or in this book. Or Andrew and I were chartered members of some bank that when they they keep telling us we're going to have our name on a brick somewhere. I think that'd be really cool. I'd, I'd like to have that. You know, people work so hard to get their name somewhere, name up on a on a billboard or you know on the marquee for a, the opening of some great movie or play or something. But this is the greatest place to have your name. It is in the Lamb's book of life so that, that on the last day when Jesus comes and, and he reads this role, he says, yeah, you're here. What's interesting in Revelation is it says it's based on the deeds that people had done. But I don't believe you're saved by, by works. And yet, uh, what's that saying? I, I think it's saying in part this, that, that there are those who have, have done wickedness and their deeds are revealing who they really are. 
And there are those who have walked in righteousness. And it's not that their righteous deeds save them, but rather that it shows forth who they are. And in fact, I don't even know that on that day that what's going to be in that book are the good deeds that you and I have done. I, I think for those that are thrown into the lake of fire, it's the, it's, it is the, the evil. It's, it's the account of how they have rebelled against God. But I just wonder if on that day when, when God looks at the book for me, it's not my righteous deeds, but, but Jesus's. That, that I'm allowed into heaven because Jesus was righteous. I'm allowed into heaven because Jesus did what I could not. He lived the life I could not. And so God looks at the book and says, oh, you're in here because you were perfect. <laughs> Not because I was perfect, but because Jesus was, and He's given me His righteousness. And I'm in the book. Think about it this way. You are in Jesus' contact list. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to have a famous person's phone number. It's another thing for that person to have your phone number. You know, I, you, you could get their phone number, but you probably would never call them. And even if you did... That wouldn't be a smart idea, but you know, just think about the person, the most famous person you know, or the the person you want uh, to know you, or you you think, oh, we'd be best friends if I knew them. Just imagine that you're in their contact list; they they know you. Oh yeah, Andy, let me give them a call right now. I think this this idea of being written in the book—it's not just that our name is there; it's it's that Jesus knows us. That, that when we enter his presence, we are not strangers to him. And, and it's not just that he knows us like a friend or an acquaintance. We are his, his children. We, we are sons and daughters of God if we've been adopted by faith and by repentance uh, towards him. This is what Galatians, one of my favorite verses when we study through Galatians is um, Galatians 4.9. Galatians 4.9 says this, or 4.8 says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, and then Paul sort of switches it up, or rather to be known by God. I love that. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, that's more important, isn't it? Not just that we know God, but that God knows us. And if our names are written in heaven, then God knows who we are. So get this. Get the contrast, all right? God is not as concerned about the things that we do. Even in his name, that's not his major concern. And that should not be the major thing that we rejoice in. But he is more concerned that we would rejoice in what he has done. That, that He has written our name down. Who's writing the name down? God is. Jesus is the one that writes the name. I, this is hard. I, as a, as a pastor, let me just be totally honest, I can find more joy in this, standing up here and hopefully being used by God. I can find more joy in, in sitting and maybe counseling with someone. I can find more joy in leading a Bible study or doing some sort of spirit-empowered ministry than in the fact that my name is written in heaven. It's just such a huge temptation, isn't it? We think that, that, that that's where our, our grounding is, and I, I struggle with that. You can ask my wife. <laughs> that there's times when, when this goes well and I think, I think God really loves me. <laughs> I think I'm really being used by God. I'm really rejoicing now. There's times when it doesn't go well, and I, and I don't look well. <laughs> I'm depressed by that. Maybe that happens in your life. There's something, and you just say, 
Well, when this goes well, then I know God's using me. When I, when I have these visible displays of God's power, when I can see Him working in my life in some real tangible way, that, that's when I'm really rejoicing. When I'm walking in His ways, I, that's, that's great. But there's times when I feel like God is distant, you know. I don't know how to pray or i just just frustrated in some way and we don't, we don't know how to rejoice in those circumstances because it feels like God's not, not there. I think that's part of what's going on here is that he, Jesus is saying, don't, don't rejoice in the stuff that's so tangible that you can, you can just see it, you know, that, that it's always there and you, it's just visible. I think God gives us those and it's a blessing. Remember, he doesn't say don't rejoice in it at all. Just don't make it the main thing. The main thing is that Jesus has saved us, that, that he knows us, that if we've come to him in repentance and faith, that we are his children. So how do we rejoice in that? How do we find joy? What, what is that going to look like? It drives me crazy when people say, if that doesn't get you excited, then nothing will. Because sometimes people just aren't excited. You know, sometimes it's hard. And I can talk about this right now and say, your name's written in the book of life. And, and you think, yeah. And I could say, if that doesn't get you excited, then nothing will. What is that it just makes you feel condemned. It's hard sometimes. What does it look like for us to rejoice in this? I think it takes, it takes some work. It's, it's, it's remembering. It's, it's thinking about what Jesus has, has done. Let's, let's go, go back to that, that imagery, though, of the, the bike, right? So let's say that, that whatever child gets this bike suddenly sees that the box isn't the best, but the bike is. And they rejoice in the bike. What, what's it going to look like for them to rejoice in that bike? Well, they're going to say, Dad, this must have cost you a lot of money. I'll go get my piggy bank and I'll start paying you back for it. You know. No, that's not. That's, as a father, that would be miserable. But sometimes that's, that's what we think we should do. Well, God saved me, so therefore I need to try to pay him back. <laughs> no way. That, that's not at all what God wants us to do. What's he want, what, what do I want my child to do with the bike? I want them to ride it. I want them to enjoy it and to, and to take pleasure in it. There's something about this where, where it's not that we're supposed to pay God back. And, and sometimes it is hard to truly see it. But what God wants us to do is to rejoice and to, um, to, to rejoice in the salvation. Psalm 116 talks about um, this wonderful passage where it says... Um, Lord, what, what, should I, what should I do? Um, I should just read it, right? Um, verse 12 of 16, Psalm 116. What shall I render? What shall I give to the Lord for all His benefits to me? What should I do? Because God has blessed me with salvation. And this is the psalmist's response. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So God's given us a cup that, that's filled with this wonderful gift of salvation. And we rejoice in it. And then what are we supposed to do? How are we going to pay God back? We're going to lift the cup up and say, God, can I have some more, please? <laughs> Will you please bless me some more? Isn't that how kids do it? I mean, my kids would, would, would drink orange juice or apple juice and you know, all day long. I, I can't do that. But, but God says, here's the gift of salvation, and you can have as much as you want. And the way that you honor me, the way that you do this, is by just continually lifting it up and continually saying, thank you, God, and rejoicing in it. We can't rejoice in these outward 
things because they, they fade and they're not always there. And sometimes it's, life is frustrating. But there's something that, that doesn't change. That there's a name. If you've confessed and turned to Jesus and accepted Him as Savior and Lord, then, then your name is in the book. And guess what? It, it's there. I mean, it, it doesn't, there's no eraser. <laughs> it, it's, it's on the roll and it will be there. The, the shows of power and, and um, you know, the Spirit moves how it wishes. And it may happen with our church. You know, God is, is doing some unique things in our church, but it may be that in two months, nothing's going on. But guess what? Our names are still written in heaven. God is still doing that. We need to be careful too because we might, this is a strange reality, but true, that that we might actually rejoice in these shows of power. We might rejoice in ministry and and miss the real source of joy. We, We might actually not just miss it, but we might not even have it. Listen to these words from Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, On that day, that day referring to the day when, when Jesus comes back, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. What the disciples did, right? We cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them. Jesus will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Your name's not on the roll. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If our confidence... I think that's it. What the, if our confidence is in this, this idea of what we can do or what God does through us in some way, if that's where our ultimate confidence is, it's in the wrong place. If that's where our ultimate joy is, it's in the wrong place. Because you can actually, in some strange way, there will be people that stand up and, and say, we did mighty miracles in the name of Jesus, and they were not truly followers of Jesus. That's a reality. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to me to think about that. There are people who will have casted out demons, who will have prophesied in Jesus' name, and they are not true followers of Jesus. That's scary. That's scary to me even. I could stand in this pulpit and preach Sunday after Sunday and show up that day and God I never knew you pray that's not true. I don't think that that's true, but I want my rejoicing not to be in what we're doing here or what we do in ministry, but in the truth of salvation, that that my name is written in heaven. I I love this thought as what I like to call a recovering legalist, someone who worked so hard to to try to make God happy for so long and realizing that I'm accepted. That, that my name is that my name is written in this book that that God knows me. I love that picture of walking into heaven, and and you get right in because Jesus knows who you are. And and I, I can remember, um, I, I can remember sitting at, in Founders Week at, at Moody Church and hearing Haddon Robinson. You know, God was working on my heart in this, and He said. Um, Jesus doesn't love you any more 
today than he did when you first became a Christian. And he doesn't love you any less today than he did when he first adopted you as a child. Whatever mighty works you've done, however God has used you, it hasn't increased his love for you. And and however you have failed and sinned and, and not allowed God to work powerfully through you, it doesn't lessen his love for you. Because God has shown his love for us in this, that he sent his son to die. That's the ultimate expression of love. There is no greater love than that. And he's shown us that. And so what we should rejoice in is not all these things that we do that we think, oh, well, now, now God's going to love me more. Now God's going to be so happy that, that he chose me. No. He already is happy. He's, he's as happy as he'll ever be. And he's the one that receives the glory. So often the pride is, look at what we have done in Jesus' name. But, but when it comes to our name being written in the book of life, God alone gets the glory. And his love for us has not doesn't change based on these things. It's, it's rooted in what Jesus has done and who he is. And we are loved no more today than we were when we were first saved, and no less. So what do we rejoice in? What, what, what gets you excited? What, what fills you with joy? It's very easy to get filled with joy at the wrong things. Not, not just ministry in Jesus' name. It sounds like a good thing, and it should be something that we get excited about, but not ultimately. What, what is at the core of our joy? The core of who we are. When, when, when the day is hard, and things are difficult, and, and it feels like God is not there in some way that we turn and we say, you know what? My, my name is written. If I've got nothing else, I know that. I know that, that on that day when I step into God's presence, that He'll say, I know you. Father, we... We come to you with rejoicing. We thank you that you do use us. You do great things and mighty things. And it's all in your name and in your power. But Lord, if you never did one more mighty work through us as a church or as individuals, we could rejoice forever and we will rejoice forever that our names are written in heaven, that you know us, that you love us, that you have sent your Son to die for us. God, I pray this morning that there are, I'm sure that there are some even in this room this morning and their name is not on the roll and and you don't know them in that saving sense. And Lord, I pray that they would come to know who you are, that they would see what Jesus has done, that he has come to die to pay the penalty for their sins, that he has come to rise again to give them new life, that he has come to fulfill all righteousness because we could not. Lord, if we will turn from sin and turn to you, that we can be saved. And Lord, if we are, let us rejoice in it. pray that that would happen this week. I pray that there would be supernatural joy in our hearts this week. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.